you know, in the course of a week, or I walk around campus all the time and people bring up so many different things. It's very touching for them to trust you and me as we ask for prayers for each other and those near and dear to us, all the secret moments and corners of our lives. And so a grad student of one school from Indonesia, her mother's dying of cancer, poor thing. Her mother's there and she's here. Could you imagine fielding that? And a friend's fellow, his mother has cancer as well. And can you imagine her being over there and you being here? Someone else without sufficient funds to get through the semester and all the worry that that entailed. And on and on. And so how important it is to pray always and never lose heart. To trust in God, to know that God is there for us. To trust always and never to lose heart. So to trust and to pray, to talk to God, to pray always and never lose heart. Is that not at the heart of the Christian faith and indeed any religion and indeed any faith? And how important to do that. Now, as I suggested, we don't do that alone. We rely on each other as Catholics in the widest way. I often say to people who are becoming Catholics, for us Catholics, when you see all the saints around, they're our support group. <laughs> you want a support group? You got it. <laughs> you got one much bigger than you thought. People are in your own profession and every other from every century who, fa century who faced everything. You think you got trouble? Think of St. Sir Thomas More. He was dealing with Henry VIII, mother of mercy. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? So to pray always, as he did in the tower, and never to lose heart. And as I say, we do it in a larger perspective. Isn't it captured well in, the, um, in our first reading? When, this says 15, so say sorry. Um, in uh, Amalek and the war against Israel, and where Moses would raise his hands and he would see the battle go better, but then his, his arms grew tired and he had other people help him keep them raised. When you become a Catholic, when we become a Catholic, when we grow up in the Catholic Church more commonly, we are taught all kinds of things you can't begin to measure or remember. Think of the different spiritualities you learn as a Catholic. You have a retreat at a Bennington Monastery and you learn about that. The Dominicans come by to give a mission, you learn about that. You read Thomas Aquinas, for instance. You hear of St. Augustine, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, our hearts shall ever be restless until they rest in you. An incomparable line in all of Christian history. You can do a retreat on that every week and renew your life forever. You think of Ignatian spirituality. You went to Boston College or, Har or Holy Cross, I hope you know that, please. There he is right there, he's watching, he's tapping his toe, waiting to make sure. And I'm an obligated St. Francis de Sales, so I do want to put in a word from Francis de Sales, but not for my sake, but for yours, because he's the great expert on lay spirituality. It was de Sales that thought everyone, everywhere, period, was called to be a saint when that wasn't thought at all. It was only thought people behind bars, monks and nuns in cloister, but he thought everyone was so called to that, everyone should be open to that, and everyone is called to be a great friend of God. And he thought, therefore, that they should adapt their spirituality to their own state in life and not take on something that was inappropriate. 
And many people haven't listened to, let's say, the introduction to the devout life. Whenever I mention it to anyone and they get it, I immediately get an email back saying, Father, this answers all the questions I've had and corrects all the mistakes I've made. It's sort of the practical guide to becoming a saint, to having a spirituality. And what is the spirituality except that larger worldview which we're given by which to see things aright? If you think of it, life comes at us unlabeled, does it not? And when we're 40, we know much more about life than we did at 20, and we realize what patsies we were at 15, 20, and 25, and how we didn't even know what the game was, much less what to call it. But if we have, if we all know the spirituality, think of the Carmelite spirituality, Teresa of Avila, Therese of Lucia, at the beginning of the month. Think of the difference that that makes. Think of people in a time of Calvinism everywhere, leaking into Catholicism as Jansenism, thinking that God is out to get you, sinner in the hand of an angry God, about to drop you into hell. And then Francis de Sales saying, God is love. Calvin was a lawyer, he wanted to secure God's rights. God loves you, that is the first point to strike first root. And so in the Salesian tradition, the Visitandi nuns that he and Jane de Chantal founded, there's Saint Margaret Mary whose feast is today. And the apparition of the Sacred Heart. Every church you go to, in the Catholic world has a statue or a painting of the Sacred Heart. And what is that but Christ, more than wearing his heart on his sleeve, saying he loves you, saying he loves you. I went to visit one of my distant cousins somewhere and she said, one of your priests from order came by and said, God loves us. Do you really think that's true? Well, that said nothing about that person, the priest or anyone else. It said something about the diet that they were treated to. You know, Calvinism, for instance, which the sales combated with love, but with clarity and simple logic. That, uh, that decreed here in Boston that the first time students in the Boston schools got Christmas off. Do you want to guess what year that was? What was the first year? How much Calvinism was there here? You can measure it by the first year they had Christmas off at the Boston public schools, 1870. If I could speak in theological terms, that's a hell of a lot of Calvinism. Would have been good to break through that earlier, don't you think? And so to choose a spirituality that fits the real world and fits your heart, your temperament, and teaching a way to see. So that when we say pray always and never lose heart, to consult with a spiritual director or one of the great spiritual directors of all time to pick a spirituality and to have that as we look out upon the world and not to be patsies to the narrowness of our own first impression left alone in a room, but to have with us the entire church. And so isn't that precisely what our second reading says. That's uh, the second letter of Paul to Timothy. Beloved, remain faithful to what you've learned and believed because you know from whom you learned it. Direct from the apostles and apostolic succession in every generation passed on. You see the columns behind me. In the capital, what do you see in the center of each capital but a statue of an apostle facing you and above it a line of the Apostles' Creed? And the church is founded on the pillars of the apostles with Christ himself as the cornerstone. Now, you know, there have been reformers and the church needed reforming at times, so thank God for them, but who sometimes lost the baby with the bathwater and said that uh, the only thing we need is scripture. Well, we do need scripture as Catholics. We call that the outdoor norm. So we find that an understatement. But notice that the person who said sola scriptura is the person who threw out several books of the Bible 
You said the Old Testament, but also the New Testament. All Christian groups have the same New Testament in 27 books. But the one I'm thinking of threw out the letter of James because it contradicted what he said. Well, if the book of the New Testament contradicts what you say, why don't you throw out what you say and keep the book in the New Testament? Could I offer some advice? Getting into that mood, he threw out Jude, he threw out Revelation, and what was the fourth one he threw out? He threw out four books in the New Testament. And then about maybe seven from the Old Testament, which are in the King James Bible, so I'm not picking on Protestants. They kept them in. Now, this past October 11th, just the other day, we celebrated the 60th anniversary of Vatican II. And it's Vatican II who uh, taught us through good Pope John that we had to be more concerned to unite with our separated brethren. As he used to say, whatever the reason we split, let us come back together. And he was right. He also, if you read the Vatican documents, said within the context of holding to what is true. It's not enough to have scripture, we have to do what scripture says. You can talk to people who say, we're Christians, we believe the Bible, but we would never have the Lord's Supper. Well, at Christ's central time of his life, Holy Thursday night, he says, do this in remembrance of me. And in a moment, that's what we'll do. In a moment around the world, that's what the Greek Orthodox are doing. That's what the Russian Orthodox are doing in other Christian groups, having Eucharist. And that matter that, uh, oh, we don't receive communion, so well, unless you drink my body and drink my blood, you cannot have life in you. And many people drifted away. There could be other Christian groups who don't buy it. Now, it isn't to say they drifted away. It's not our place to say it's up to God because they have the same faith, same Lord. They have the same baptism in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And many, many times they teach us things we don't know and haven't done. They often know the scriptures better than we do. But then again, we know the scriptures pretty well and we don't quote a single verse, but we try to, we try to be guided by everything. You know, if you, uh, you may have heard someone ask you, do Catholics have a scripture group? Do you know what I say to that? We do. It's called mass. We have it every Sunday and every day. In every parish, in every city, it's called the mass. And that's our scripture group. And it's also the Eucharist. It's also first offering our lives to God and then accepting the enormous gift beyond speaking of God's gift of his son, for he so loved the world that he sent his only son. And you and I and they know it's not enough to simply hold up John 3.16 in a stadium. It's a matter to be guided by that and to do what the Lord said. And we are all peccant. We've all made mistakes and in every Christian denomination, we begin our services with a confession of faults. So it's not a matter of picking on anyone else. But it is a matter of saying that it does require sophisticated, not childish reasoning to field how we come back together, doesn't it? And so I would recommend on the 60th anniversary of Vatican II for people to read those documents. Because I can tell at once. You know how you can tell at once whether people are in touch with the news or at once whether they think, or at once whether they know stuff or don't know stuff. Well, when it comes to dealing with ecumenism and other things, I know whether they have the guidelines of the Vatican II documents, which give us a whole structure and way to think, a whole set of understandings of how to feel things. Otherwise, we're simply left to our own single thought. But when we come together, we wanna have something to offer.
We want to be a member of our own church before we begin sharing with another church so that there's a there there that we're offering and so we have some understanding of exactly how it's done, obviously, obviously. To trust in the Lord, to pray always and never lose heart. We give thanks for our sister, brothers, and Christians, and we give thanks to each other. We try to build that world together. If you think of it, there's not simply the matter of the scriptures or the matter of Holy Communion, the real presence of Christ. There's also the matter at every Mass of a third thing many people forget. Building the body of Christ by coming here and helping it grow and inviting other people here. I was over at the law school a week ago, two weeks ago. Someone said, Father, my friend wants to become a Catholic, and so on. I have a friend who's an interesting guy, special forces. He uh, was at one of the grad schools here. He developed cancer. He was a biochemist, so he founded a company to find the cure. And one of his employees came by two nights ago and said, I'd like to become a Catholic, so she was at the RCIA last night. So it's not enough to know what God said, but it's a matter to implement it, and not just here in church but in the world out there. Last night we had uh, mass with the cardinal and all the doctor, doctors of the diocese and our medical students. And they had a person from CRS who talked about the, the poor people in Ukraine and how Catholic Relief Services was trying to help them. And do you know what he happened to mention, the cardinal? He said he called for a, a collection for the people in Ukraine. And from the Archdiocese of Boston, a million dollars was collected from you and sent to them. So it's not a matter of staying alone. And it's not a matter of just thinking of our place. And it's not a matter of just thinking of our church. But it's a matter of being with everyone all over the world and praying for them and trusting in their prayers for us. Thanks for listening to Within the Walls of St. Paul's Sunday Homilies. Please be sure to like us on Facebook and consider supporting us by visiting stpaulsharvardsquare.org. That's stpaulsharvardsquare.org. God bless and see you next time.